Hi, welcome to Shoutout's Always Healing Podcast. I'm Trish Caldwell. So I do want to start by genuinely thanking you for participating in today. Um, you know, as a little bit of background for me, and, you know, I know that Gwen and, and Katie certainly know some of it, is I have worked pretty extensively within this field. I have fundamentally committed to myself of recognizing that people can and do change, that resiliency sits inside some of our greatest obstacles, um, and that I've not seen that truer than in families of recovery. But what I've always noticed, um, and particularly with the work that I've done, is that for so many families, for the kids, um, for their parents, there's so much that gets focused in on the addiction um, that nobody really talks about the healing. And that becomes more of the secret than the actual addiction. And so kids walk around carrying this weight that they don't know how to share with other people about both their experiences, because two things can be true. It can be incredibly painful, and you can be incredibly resilient as a result of it. And normally what happens is only one of those things becomes a topic. And so what I wanted to do is create a space today that we could talk about what recovery looks like, what the impact is for family members, for the parents, because there's a lot of people, and with a lot of the work that I've done over the years, I did a lot of work with the kids. And their parents would always come to me and be like, I need you to, I need you to talk to my kids. I need you to kind of like fix my kids. And I continue to say, they don't need me. They need you. And so I'm going to help you to understand the impact that substance use has on our kids because as a kid, you are going to have changes that occur to you as a result of what has happened. Um, and I don't want you to ever think that I'm that important, but I wanted your parents to understand how to have conversations. And so when I would say to the parents, your kids are going to be okay when you're okay. That's what's going to be true. I don't know if they trusted me. Right? I know that they trust me because I, they work with me, but that's a hard thing to sell somebody. Like, your kids are going to be okay when you're okay. And the gratitude that I have that you're all here today is because we have multiple adult children who are okay. And so I'm grateful for all of you to be here. I'm more grateful that you are willing to share your story because I think there's a lot of parents out there and a lot of families that need to hear your stories, not just the pretty pictures not just the horrible ones, but the reality of we're always healing, right? That's the truth. And that's the story. No matter what the obstacles are that come our way, addiction is just what we're talking about today. So if you don't mind, I know who you all are, but if you could just go around and introduce yourselves, um, whatever you want to say about yourself to introduce yourself, and then we're just going to have a, a conversation about all of it. Oh, I'm definitely going to cry on this podcast. I can feel it. <laughs> um, my name is Gwen. Um, I guess I'll start professional and go personal. I have a master's in couple and family therapy. I work with couples and families in recovery and treatment from addiction. Um, a couple different places. Um, currently getting my doctorate in couple and family therapy. Just thank you pretty wild. Um, I am from Massachusetts. I'm from New England. Um, my dad is in recovery. Um, he got sober September 18th, 2018, like two days before my nephew was born. Um, and yeah, that's what I'll start with. There's a lot more to that story, but I, yeah, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, I would say. Um, that's like definitely showed up in my life in a lot of different ways. And understanding it has been like hugely helpful for me, not only as a person, but also like as a family therapist, um, which, you know, is one and the same. So I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Thank you. Uh, my name is Katie Sullivan, and I work at Recovery Centers of America. I'm a patient and employee engagement manager in the Mission Center. I am also an adult child of an alcoholic. My father passed away with 35 years of continuous recovery. And uh, part of my story was I didn't ever want to be like my father. And I turned out to be exactly like my father. 
I am a woman in recovery, um, and I am a mother of 23-year-old triplets that I'm extremely proud of. Two of them are here today. And um, very grateful to be a part of this podcast, but also RCA because they put families first. And I think when I was a kid and my father was getting sober, uh, there was no talking, there was no trusting, uh, there was no feeling. It was a big secret. Um, we kept it under the rug. And we put the face on, and we made me. And we made we looked like the perfect family. And uh, I carried around a lot of pain throughout my childhood. So when I had my own struggles with alcohol, uh, I got sober before my children were born, and um, I was most proud that they never saw me drunk because I knew that feeling, and I relapsed uh, when they were ten. And uh, the hardest part of the whole experience for our family, for me specifically, has been the guilt and the shame and the remorse I felt as a mother and them seeing me in that condition and, uh, and maybe not knowing. They can talk more about that. But uh, for many years, I couldn't forgive myself uh, for my drinking and for my relapse. And uh, they would tell me, we love you, Mom. Uh, we're proud of you. We don't want to see you in pain. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. I just felt like a horrible mother and uh, person. And uh, we want to put a voice. Like, I, I want to put a voice. I want to give a voice to the parents. I want to give a voice to the families that it's okay to talk about it. It's safe. There's resources. There's help. So very grateful to be here. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Christian. Um, I'm Katie's son, uh, one of the triplets. Uh, a little bit about me is I'm a senior at Temple right now, 23 years old. And I just want to start off by saying that I love my mom more than anything, anyone. I look up to her. She's strong, resilient, and she showed me many ways to grow in my life just based on the things that she went through herself. Like she said, with uh, alcoholics, I think as a, as a, a, a kid, the, one of the most important things is understanding what alcoholism is because most of the time people just look at it as an addiction. They don't look at it like they're sick, they're going through something that is bigger than just drinking. And I personally have gone through um, a lot of life events that made me look at alcohol differently, whether it was personal use or watching my mom or my dad drink. But the most important part is not the addiction and the hurt and the negative aspects, but it is the positive and the healing. And I think today I look at that as more of like, thank God that happened. Because if we didn't go through the negatives, we couldn't heal and we couldn't see or look at it as a positive today. And that's just a little bit of what I have to say now, but thank you. Hi, my name is Maggie. I'm also Katie's daughter. I'm 23 years old. Um, a little background about me with recovery is that I got the chance to work at RCI Devon I was the admissions um, receptionist all summer, so I got to be the first face um, patients would see when they walked into the building. Growing up with addiction in the family has obviously been hard, um, but growing up with communication with my mom and having my two siblings and just family support has been like really helpful. Um, and I'm really happy to talk about it and get into more of it today. Thank you. I will say, I know that Gwen said that there's a good chance that she might cry today. Um, I am not an overwhelmingly emotional person. I will say that. That's one of those things that people always say about me. But this might not be that day. Um, <laughs> so I am going to say that. Uh, I'm going to try and compose myself because I feel like once I do that slippery slope, um, it's a harder one for me to retract. 
I'm hoping that you guys will also be able to have some of the conversation with each other about things that you might be curious about, right? Because you're at different places. But sometimes in order to be able to see the resiliency, and Christian, I, you know, I love that you see that, right? That's a part of the healing, is to be able to create a narrative that makes sense to the experiences so that you are able to appreciate the strength of who you are today, right? That's the whole kind of you know, a, such a huge foundational part of recovery is recognizing whatever I went through created this person that's sitting before you and this person I'm proud of, right? That to me is resiliency. To start, I think we need to be, it would be remiss for me because I will say I'm always strength-based, so I'm always making sure that I focus in on that and I will always do that in, in all my work. But I think that there needs to be some acknowledgement because what I also don't want is for somebody to be listening on here worried like, I don't think that I'm them because they're all, they all seem okay, right? And, and Katie sounds like a great mom and the kids seem great and Gwen's turned out to be an MFT and a marriage and family therapist. Like, I'm not that parent then. Like, maybe I'm worse. And so I don't want to spend too much time in that, in that space. But, you know, is anybody comfortable sharing just some of the spaces of, of where the struggle were, you know, or was for you? Because then I think we start to have conversations and that's for everybody, right? That's for you, Katie. That's for all three of you. Because then we start to have a conversation about, so what helped to get through it, right? We can't prevent some of the obstacles we're about to be faced with. Um, but even in the darkest moments, as long as there's light, right, there's opportunities to move forward. So is anybody comfortable sharing what it was? Because it's, again, to be honest, it's painful, right? It's, it's hard for everyone. I think um, the the one thing that I think of first is the hiding of the alcohol, um, just finding it behind the couch or in the deep of a cabinet or something like that. It's just the hiding and the not communication um, is the first thing I think about uh, that really hurt as a child. Um, I remember I would write little notes on the bottles for just to you know, know, be like, I, I'm noticing this. I hope you're OK. I love you. Um, I love you. I remember those notes. <laughs> Hard. Um, yeah, that's the first thing I can think of. Um, for me, another one would be knowing that they're in pain. I knew that you were in pain with, I don't even know what at the time, but the fact that you felt so alone and that was your solution. It was hard because it felt almost like we, me, Maggie, Molly, couldn't do anything for you because you were looking at that as a solution. And even if we were younger, um, it was still like defining, I would say. But like Maggie said, the hiding, like we would, we would take some of it even in like high school and just that would be like our hey, we know it's here. We're going to, yeah. But it's the fact that you were in pain and we couldn't do anything about it that that um, was hurt, that hurt us. So uh, we are not the perfect family. Uh, we still have troubles. Life still goes on. Uh, I'm a woman in recovery, but we still go through a lot of pain. And I think uh, we still have a hard time communicating to each other when we're in pain. Uh, we want to put the past in the past. We've had situations with uh, other family members, um, you know, uh, my ex-husband and, uh, and his drinking. And uh, that was really hard. And... The direction I was given was, you know, check in on your kids, like see how they're doing. And that's really hard for me to say because I don't want to talk about that. Like we, we did that. We solved that. Like it's over. Let's not talk about it anymore. And having those moments um, to be able to be vulnerable is, is challenging for us, challenging for me as a mom. Uh, I want to make it like the perfect family and give them what they need and make a nice dinner but we still have a lot of our own pain and, and things that we kind of put under the rug for a little bit and still hide 
a little bit and we're still learning. And, and I know that when we have those difficult conversations about what's going on, we cry. Uh, we cry and that's okay. We have a safe spot, but uh, we feel better afterwards. I, I think we, I, you know, I think we just went through something like that. Like we felt better afterwards and we're still learning. We're still learning how to communicate, how to uh, have boundaries, how to not, um, for me as a mom, not try to fix them when they have their own struggles or they have their own pain, them not trying to fix me. So it's not perfect. I think, and then I want Gwen for you to share yours. I think as I'm listening, you know, and I, I just watched a, a play, right? So Dear Heaven Hansen, where there's a young man that had committed suicide. So not a spoil alert, but that's the main part of the thing. And it really talks about this family struggle of a child's desire to protect a parent, right? So here you are describing it, right? I'm leaving them notes because I don't want them to feel alone. My greatest sadness is her feeling alone, right? And wanting to protect. And I think as parents, we don't see that, right? So here's this child that was wanting to commit suicide who wouldn't share it to the parent because of the burden they felt it was to the parent. And that I think you guys just spoke to because that's that's the work, right? That it's, it's not in avoiding the difficulty. And I will say as a parent too, you know, who has a teenager who has, you know, their own things going on, it changed the way that I perceive things because my conversations, I feel like I'm a therapist, right? I should have the appropriate conversations with my kids. But for the first time, that I shifted it to her of like, I'm strong enough to handle your feelings. Yeah. That was, and so Christian, I thought you said that so well. And Mag, you, you spoke about it because it's a shift. When people do family therapy, they assume it's like, you got to do these things for them. But that's the vulnerable moment that people don't talk about. Yeah. It's me trying to protect them as a child. Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing um, and say that Yes, I didn't want her to feel alone, but what I learned was that one of the hardest parts was not saying anything or bringing it up at all because that puts blame on me because I know it's happening, but I'm not doing anything about it. But I was also feared up about bringing it up because it's a negative. It's a hard thing to talk about. And I don't want to hurt her feelings, but so I would just let, like brush it off, let it be. Yeah, exactly. And that was hard. But you guys talked about it. We together. would talk about it together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me, Molly, we would Christian. always, yeah, because like I would go up to Maggie and I would show her like if I found a bottle or something, or I'd say like she's drinking again. And then, but as like we would talk about it, but we would never confront uh, my mom or my dad about it. So. And as we got older, we learned how to actually communicate it better. Not great, but yeah. a little better than we instead of just completely hiding it, we would actually talk about it becomes like a walking on eggshells thing. You're like, I don't want to do this wrong. I don't want to do this in a way that further causes harm to this situation. And so it becomes a matter of like, how do I approach this in the perfect way? How do I say the exact right thing to like make this situation better? Which especially as a kid, you're like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, yeah. you don't know what's going to trigger something. Yeah. Or... And I appreciate Maggie bringing up like writing notes because when my um, when my dad was in active use, I was, I was about your age actually. And I was living in California, like across the country from my parents, from my family, um, pretty intentionally far away because it was just, yeah, various <laughs> reasons. Um, but I, yeah, I'd want to like talk about it with my dad, but I didn't know how. And on the phone, you know, I'd only want to talk with him in the mornings, which would be super early morning in California, because if it got too late in the afternoon, he'd be drinking, we'd have like the most infuriating conversation. And so I started writing him letters and like, I, I did not understand anything about addiction at this point. Like we did not talk about it in my family. I had no like education about it at this point in my life. So I'd write him these letters that were like, if you like loved me, if you loved my brothers, my mom, our family, like if you just like cared for your life, if you appreciate it, like 
if X, Y, and Z, then like, can you stop drinking? Can you please, like, you're killing yourself and we're all watching it happen. And like, I now understand like, that's not really how that works. Like he's, he had all the care in the world for my family. And like, that wasn't what was going to make him stop drinking ultimately. And but those letters in a lot of ways were like my own way of processing and my own way of like understanding what I was going through and my pain. Um, and when he did get sober, it was because he almost died because he had a really bad fall. And it was like this back and forth thing of my my parents trying to protect me from things and then me trying to protect my parents from things. So then we just wouldn't talk at all. And when he ended up in the hospital with a brain bleed, my mom almost didn't call me because I was I was in Spain with my close friends. And she was like, I don't want to ruin your vacation. I was like, my dad's about to die and you don't want to ruin my vacation. And um, my sister-in-law actually like forced her to call me. Um, and it was, yeah, it was incredibly painful, like just being like, is my dad going to die today or tomorrow or the next day? And the doctor's basically saying, like, if you drink again, you will die. Um, he did get sober and then he relapsed. And then my mom actually left him and said, I can't do this anymore. And that's when, you know, I was in California and my mom's like, I am really sorry. I need to like do this for myself. And so I'm like, trying to support my mom and say like, I understand, like you take the space for yourself. But then I'm also like, now dad's at home by himself. And my brother's like driving by every day to make sure his car's still in the driveway. Like, and her leaving was actually what made him get sober ultimately. And that was the last time he ever drank. And so, yeah, it's, it was like such a, and then I moved back to the East coast and all of these other things, <laughs> but it was, yeah, just one of those, like, not understanding how addiction works, like thinking that I can, um, like, string the perfect amount of words together to make it okay. And I think that's one of the things is, like, adult child of alcoholics, like, at least for myself, I've said, like, there's a lot of that, um, like, needing to do things right or perfectly to, like, manage a situation, right? Like, I find that even now in my personal life, professional life, I'm like, if I can just like get a hold on everything myself, even as a therapist, I'm just like, mm -hmm. then everything will be okay. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, that's okay. Like I have to check myself so much and be like, that's, that's not how that works. <laughs> but when you're a kid in a situation with adults who don't have the tools, who don't have the like presence of mind, who are just in that moment, not able to be the adult, then you turn into the adult in a lot of ways. It brings up a lot of stuff that you like bring into adulthood with you that I feel like is really important to start to like talk about and acknowledge. Like how has this identity informed the way that I like react to other people in my life and show up in my job and like be a friend because it all intertwines in all of these ways. Can I just add one thing? Uh, you know, it's it's been eye-opening when Christian has told me that, and Maggie, that they they knew I was in pain, right? And uh, one thing that we had to work on or I had to work on was when I was divorced and single mom and I had all this stress and I didn't know they knew I was in pain. But I had uh, an enmeshment uh, with Christian a little bit. I, I leaned on, I didn't know I was doing it. Sure. Um, I didn't lean on the girls as much, but I, I leaned on, on Christian a lot. And the, the lines between mother and son were faded for me. Yeah, I wasn't drinking, but I was like leaning and dependent on him. And that was very heavy. We've talked about this. And even today when I go through stuff and, and I've like stress or things are going on in my life, I have to be very aware and very awake. Like, you know, 
do not call Christian. Do not, like, he's in school. He's, you know, senior. Like, he's not my, like, and having that boundary has, um, it's it's hard still, even today. Like, I, I don't want to put that pressure on him. And I didn't even realize for so many years how much pressure I, I didn't realize you guys knew how sad I was and, and broken because um, I thought I was hiding it well. She had one, <laughs> her fridge only had one yogurt. <laughs> I had one yogurt in my fridge. I mean, come over and be like, all right, no one yogurt. Yeah. But you're doing but, fine. Uh, and, and this is a part of our process and our healing is still being able to laugh about it and say mm-hmm. it like, hey, Christian, aren't you gr- glad? Like, I didn't call you up with that, like, and, mm-hmm. and rely on you and. And I do have more food in the in the fridge now. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, about the enmeshment piece. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's such an important piece, too, because, again, if we think about part of what we want, right, is to to break down some of the walls that people think that they can't talk about this, right? But families inherently protect families, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. so that's like... Always like my my frustration point, right? So Gwen and I obviously work uh, closely together, but that's always a frustration point because I'm like, they're never going to choose you mm-hmm. over their family. So stop it. You are not important enough. So you cannot get in the middle. So I always think if I were to pull this out, because I think there's a lot of parents that lean on a child. A child is not going to turn their back on it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it causes different things because then you are, right? I'm one of six. We all knew who our parents went to, right? We all know we were like, Brian's a favorite, right? We got it. We understand, <laughs> right? FYI, I know I'm a favorite too, right? So so it changes the dynamic between you and your sisters too. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so maybe we talk about that because I think that the beauty is that it's messy and it's complicated. And it goes in all areas. So like if I just worked with your mom and I didn't even meet you guys, the true healing, because you are never going to not have your mom's back unless mom gives you permission. Yeah. Right? So if I'm like, stop doing this, stop doing this. Correct. Because that's what families do. Like the love and the bonds, because love and addiction are not opposite of each other. Right? So- you can profoundly love somebody and then have to figure out. I mean, that, and, and we've used those terms, right? Like, you're going to love them to death. I'm like, if I hear one person ever say that in front of me, right, that would be like, a, I'm like, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to try and fire you, right? Like, those are so inappropriate because could you imagine somebody saying that to you? I love you to death. Yeah. It, you're going to love your mom to death. You need to put up boundaries. You'd be like, you're an idiot. Yeah. Get out of my life, and I will love my mom until she doesn't need me to do it anymore, right? So yeah. that's the the discourse of, like, when we eliminate families from recovery, you're like, what the hell else am I supposed to do? And if mom doesn't give you permission, you'll actually look for mom to be able to do it anyway. So mom's going to start saying, I'm going to not use Christian as much, but if you're not aware of that conversation— then you're going to be like, mom abandoned me. Right. <laughs> Correct. Where the hell's mom? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and she's trying to now have other relationships with your daughters and your, or your and you're sisters. Like, and you're like, what the hell's going on with Molly and Maggie? <laughs> right. Yeah. So maybe you can even speak to that of like what it even did with like the siblings. Right. Because it's we're all impacted. This is why people think us as family therapists are crazy. It's we're like, bring everybody into the yeah. room together. Let's all talk about yeah. this. Because, Dog pile in. Yep. Right? Because it's like without one person, a whole entire thing is missing. So I think that I wasn't even, like like my mom said, like I wasn't even aware of like how much she relied on me. It just felt normal because, I don't know, in the past we've spent like a lot of time together and... I feel like this enmeshment was a part of the healing process in a way because this was after the first time I like brought up her drinking to her. Like it was the first time I actually communicated with her about it. So after like, I don't know, seeing her do so much better after that, I think we just, our relationship was just really reliant on each other. And we spoke about it and we've talked about it since like we're talking about it right now, like the enmeshment, like, because if you don't are not aware of it, you're not going to bring it up and you don't even know what's happening. Correct. But it really between me and her, 
it made me feel like I was kind of having like a spotlight on me at all times. And for my sisters, I don't know, it made me feel like, um, like she would talk to me about anything before she would talk to like Maggie and Molly about things. To add to that too, me and Molly are more not confrontational. So whenever she did drink, we would always get Christian to talk to her about it. Christian was our middleman in everything. Um, so that probably stressed him out all the time. Um, because I, I don't think I've ever actually had like a conversation when she was drinking to her face that I was like, you're drunk. I, I could never like admit it to her that I knew because I was too scared of what would happen, too scared to talk about it. Um, and to this day, I'm still very, very unconfrontational. I don't like confrontation. Well, and I will say, and I'm going to sound like a therapist for a second. You did tell her. You did it in a way that made sense to you yeah. and your relationship, right? But you did. Yeah. You left her notes. Yeah. So you did, right? And so that's, it's recognizing who we are within the systems. And so you found the only way that made sense to you. Yeah. I also do think that Christian was a really big help with everyone in our family, though, just because he would be the one I would call when he wasn't home or Molly always like leans on him too. Mom leans on him. Dad leans on him. I'm just setting boundaries. We're <laughs> <laughs> now we joke. I'm like, yo, when we were a when we were a mesh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we <laughs> because we're aware, we're aware yeah. of it, and we talk about it, and and we and progress like isn't perfection either, right? So we're still families, and sometimes when we're under high levels of distress, we go back to patterns that we are familiar with. But broad shoulders need somewhere else I to lean to. So I will that. say that. Yeah, sorry. Um, Maggie said that it was she thought it was more stress on me to like be the one to like bring it up and stuff. It was at first because I've never done it and I've never confronted it. But let me tell you, when I did, it just felt like I got so much weight off of my shoulders to finally like confront her about it and say what was on my mind, what was bothering me, because I feel like it's very important as a child of an alcoholic to do what's right for you. Like you, if you're not feeling happy with them, that's normal. If you're not, if you're feeling upset, that's normal. You just have to communicate with them how you feel because if you don't, they never will. And that won't get them to stop drinking. So it was stressful at Say first. Say that sentence one more time. <laughs> I don't even really know what I just said, that word for it word. Won't get them. So you doing, you sharing yours, it's not about getting them to stop drinking. Yeah, so. Right, you don't have control over that, but you do have it of you, right? Yeah. And you being able to express yourself. Yeah, That's so yeah, powerful. for me, like in my personal experience, it was kind of to just get everything, all the stress and anxiety off of my chest because it felt better to let them know how I, like let my mom know how I actually feel. And that's the goal there was not to get them to stop drinking. It was to to let them know the truth of how I feel. And that's a lifelong muscle that you build, right? Is being able to like take up space in the family, being able to like share your discomfort, share your emotions, especially when they're negative, especially when they're negative about your parents, right? Yeah. That's something like as an adult, as a family therapist, as a human being, I still have a very hard time doing, yeah. right? And like, talk with my own therapist about it. And she's like, what, what are you doing? Like, why can't you tell them that? I'm like, it's, it's so difficult to do that. Right. And so as a kid being able to start practicing that, like, I'm uncomfortable, I'm unhappy, I'm scared. I don't feel safe. Right. It feels so like counterintuitive and it feels so scary, but it's so important because that space that you take up in the family is, is yours and is, is valuable. And when you start shrinking yourself, that's how you're going to show up in other places in your life, too. So I appreciate that a Absolutely. lot. Absolutely. And it also, it took a long time to do it, but it doesn't change the fact of how impactful it was for me. And um, as a kid, I know it is hard to, because you, you feel like your parents, like you shouldn't, they shouldn't rely on you. You rely on them. So you shouldn't have all these emotions to express to them. So it took it took a long time, but it really was worth it. And we, I don't think we would be anywhere close to where we are today without it, so. 
So then where does the, the resiliency start as a family? So like when we say families are always healing, right? That's a fact. How does that start looking like in your families, right? So even as you start to describe, you know, being able to have that, there's a safe, there was a safe enough space that your mom created that as tough as it was that you were able to get that out there, right? So that's part of her healing as well as your healing. How do you start looking at where this became resiliency as opposed to just, because it didn't always feel like you were resilient, right? It felt like you were stuck. Yeah. Um, so how did you start finding the, resi and this is for all of you, right? Because everybody had it. Um, how did you start finding the resiliency in the stories? I think for one, um, just learning more about addiction and recovery for me, mm -hmm. um, learning about how it's a disease and um, it you can't control it and you turn to another person when you're drinking. Um, I think just knowing that and how you can't control it really helped me forgive a lot of things at a young age, like just going to AA meetings with you, um, just because I wanted to learn more yeah. and wanted to help you and be able to talk about it. And I've noticed that um, there is a lot of alcoholics in the world. And I know a lot of when I was a kid, a lot of my friends were very embarrassed to talk about their family problems, their alcoholic dads or moms. And I remember um, freshman year of college, I was just talking about it so freely. And my one good friend was just like, how are you not embarrassed? How are you? How are you just talking about that? Mm. Um, wow. Like, aren't you? Are, wouldn't you want to like hide that? Why are you sharing that with me? And it's just because I think because we have so much knowledge in recovery, it's just made me more confident to talk about it to other people and explain like it shouldn't be embarrassing. Um, it just it happens, you know. It's a gene. And I was even like, oh my god, you were talking about like. A like, are you okay with that? Like, you're not ashamed anymore? Like, no. and I was hat, like, I'm like, oh my God, what a great resource she can be for her family, like putting a voice on it. But I'm like, are you embarrassed? And even when I do stuff with RCA, I'm like, I hope I'm not embarrassing them. Like, cause we're talking about our secret or, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and when I heard her, I remember her telling me this story and I was just like, that's awesome because there's so many people and resilience. There's a lot of for, people listening. For for me is like, it's a day at a time thing, right? Um, yes, I try to provide a safe environment and a, and a, an environment where uh, my children can trust me to come to me, uh, and we can get through anything because it's not just about drinking. Correct. Okay, there's a lot going on in the world. Yep. There's a lot going on, but if they can come to me and they can trust me and they feel safe like we're gonna we're stronger together <laughs> like when we yeah. we put it out there whatever one of us is going through or something's happening when we put it out there together we're stronger we're safer we're, we're supportive we're support nurtured and that's <laughs> the resilient we're, we're we're still learning this whole resilience thing i think yeah. in a lot of different ways like you said it's day to day and I want to kind of piggyback off of what Maggie said about like uh, education of addiction and alcoholism, but I think it's even like closer to the personal level of understanding like that my mom's intention with drinking was never to hurt us. Mm, that's huge. And in the beginning, you can't you can't know that because you don't know, like when you're younger, you don't know why they're doing it, why they're drinking, why they're doing it all the time. And it's because they're hurting inside, but they're not doing it to make my life, like my mom's not trying to make my life miserable. Yeah, just, I know that she would, you know, take a bullet for me and all that. So it's, it's really, it's really, yeah. And it's really important to just know that, you know, they're a victim of something bigger. They're not, they're not being malicious. They're not trying to hurt us. The clarity that it's not personal is so freeing, mm. yeah. right? The like realization, like this is not a personal attack on me. This is not a reflection of, of me, of the type of child I am, of the type of relationship that we have. It's not a reflection of that at all. Once you realize that, you're like, Oh, okay. Okay. The love that we have and the connection that we have is still there and it's still strong. And also 
there can be addiction and suffering in addition to that. And that's a really hard, like, both and to hold. I don't know why I've been using this phrase a lot recently. It's a stupid phrase, but I keep saying, like, that's the secret sauce. It's not the prevention. Again, I'm older, right? So you're going to have to cut me a break. I don't know why that's even in my head as a, a phrase, but I have been saying it because I think people think that there's something simple about it, right? But it's not, and families aren't. And so when you get education, right, how many people are alone in their own description of what this means? For the amount of people that I would hear that would say, if you loved me, you would stop, mm-hmm. right? And to me, what would happen is that you'd be like, Katie, tell, tell them that you, and I'm like, she doesn't, this is about like surrendering to that, that that's not what yeah. this is about, right? And, yeah. and I use a phrase and I know it's controversial, but I'm like, imagine saying that for like diabetes, right? Or even worse, like cancer, like if you loved me, you would get rid of it. Yeah. Right? It's not that easy. The difference is that if you love me, keep fighting. So when I talk to families, I say it all the time. The recovery is not about how much they are loved and how much they love you. The fight is. So when somebody keeps fighting, you're in treatment 17 times. My sentence to that person is like, who loves you this much? Because somebody loves you that you're fighting this hard. Like, who is it? Who's got your back this hard that you're still willing to fight 17 times later? Right? Because that's the fight. And then the beauty of what you guys are talking about, which I think I'm hoping that so many people can hear, is it's the secret that kills you. It's it's the resiliency and the trust of being able to say, I'm angry. Because you can be. Super scary. I don't know what else to do, right? I'm hurt, but that I love you and I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do with, again, all the work that Gwen's doing is, I mean, I just think that that was, you know, a powerful shift because I think people are looking for like the solution, Mm -hmm. just fix them. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not Tinkerbell. So I don't have any fa- I don't have any fairy dust. That's not what this is. And different life challenges, as you said, right? The life challenges are going to keep coming up. Addiction is a, a, a in the moment it feels like it's the biggest part of your life, but it's a small part of who you are as a human being, right? It's a small part of who you are as a family, but it becomes the only thing that people identify. But yeah, you're going to have other obstacles in your life. I mean, we humanness in and of itself can be an obstacle, right? So. But the beauty of like that you're like, now when I have something, we put it on the table and we figure it out. Like I just, do you see that too? I mean, again, with the work and day to day and. Yeah, I think like just first of all, like normalizing for people, like right off the bat, sometimes I'll call family and they'll be like, I'm going through this and I'm like, yes, that's that's okay. That's normal that you're doing that. It's okay. Like just for people to hear that they have permission to live their lives, mm-hmm. right? Is such a wild like <laughs> wild thing to hear for some people because they're like, well, my loved ones in treatment, I should be doing all these. It's the shoulds where we feel like failure, where we feel like we're doing something wrong. I'm like, there's nothing you should or shouldn't be doing, right? There's there's really nothing. There's no blueprint. There's no manual that I can hand you, right? I think there's, like, a lot of resilience in the, like, not trying to fix, not trying to control, but starting to be aware of, like, our own emotional experiences with things, of being, like, how am I responding to this? How am I reacting to my loved one's addiction How have I started to act or think or feel because of the way that this person that I love is is showing up in their active use, which is hard to do when you're hyper focused on on what's going on. Right. There's there's still active addiction in my family and it's too raw and fresh to talk about. But people will call me and be like, you're an addiction family therapist. Like, what do I do? I'm like, I can't tell you what to do because first of all, like it's too close to home for me. My own emotions, I have a different 
level of investment in the outcome of what happens in my family than I do with the people that I work with. It's emotional and I can't, I can't give advice. I can't tell you what to do, right? This is, I have to check in with myself and say, what am I comfortable sharing? What are, what are my comfortable boundaries with my own family talking about these different things, right? And so that's what I encourage families to do is check in with yourself and say, you know, am I starting to feel like a pit in my stomach? Am I starting to feel like my chest is on fire? Am I starting to feel like my head's about to explode, right? Because those are signs that you're uncomfortable, you're scared that something is happening for you, right? And so the more that we can be aware of that, the more we can figure out how it is that we can interact with our loved ones, with ourselves, with our loved one's treatment, right? There's a lot of like power and freedom in the awareness of that. And that can be a really hard thing to figure out too, because we're not really taught as a world, as a society to like know our feelings, to name our emotions. People are like, I'm happy, sad, or mad. And those are the only three. (laughs) Anything outside of that's very difficult, understandably. Yeah. And in this field, for whatever reason, we're not even taught to necessarily bring the family in. Right? So I, again, having worked so long for adolescents, you know, worked with adolescents for a very long time, it fundamentally never made sense to me why I would work with you and not bring your mom in, right? And some people would be like, yeah, of course you wouldn't, right? That's stupid, Trish. Why would you work with them and not bring in the mom in? But then you turn this magical age of 18, boop, now we're just doing this. Like, I've never seen a field that silos recovery, despite us saying recovery happens inside communities and fellowship, right? This is a family disease. It's a field that's like, this is all about you. And I'm like, but she's going home to people that love her, right? So, and not me, right? So I don't understand. And how are they doing? And how are they doing, right? And when when I came to RCA, I will say, that was like a one of the first things I did. I was like, everybody's giving a phone call to the family within the first day. And I was like, and I need you to be prepared for this answer. You're going to call them and they're going to pick up the phone and say, what's wrong? Because nobody's taught them how to be a part of recovery and we've perpetuated you being caught in their addiction because if your mom started to have a hard time then you'd get a phone call right so we're like stop being so you know enabling stop being so this but then we call you only when there's a crisis so then I'm I'm actually I'm encouraging you to still engage in what we would deem as codependency or to focus in on the addiction and so that was a huge shift Um, Because the field historically just ignored that your healing actually takes place inside your home and that you are as important of a part of that as yours. So when people are like, you you know, you preach family, I'm like, uh, because we all have one. Like, again, I'm not keeping you for the rest of my life. Like, we're not... You got to figure out how to be a part of it. And there's things that need to be said out loud. Mm-hmm. Safety, right? And, and conversations and the reduction of the secrecy. Like there's just so many beautiful things that need to be said. I have one other thing. I made me think about like boundaries, right? And setting those boundaries. But what I've learned in um, AA and through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is I'm powerless, right? I'm powerless over alcohol. My life is unmanageable. I'm also powerless over my children. And my life becomes unmanageable when I try to take the power and focus on them. And uh, through through that process and, and when they might go through things, I might go through things, that just awareness that I can't fix you. Can't fix you. Can't fix Molly. Can't, like I'm barely fixed. Fixing myself, like I gotta focus on me. I gotta set the boundary. I gotta take care of me, so I can. It's like that oxygen mask yeah. in the airplane. Like yeah. I, I never understood that. Like why, if the oxygen, I'm gonna put it on my kid. I'll die for these kids. Like, but that be, because of the twelve steps. Like I've learned that, regardless, it's not that I love them less. 
I think they know I love them, but I have to take care of myself first and get that oxygen. And I also have to turn them over and their choices. They're not kids. They're 23. They're adults. And turn them over under the protection of something greater than Katie and and trust that they're going to go through their process. They're going to learn things. They're going to make choices. And if I'm taking care of myself, if they fall, I will be there just like I want them to do because I may fall because I can't sit here. I say it all the time and guarantee either one of you, anyone in this room, that I'll be sober next year, that I'll be sober in six months. Like it's a one day at a time. I have a, a reprieve and it's what I do on my daily basis. But I spent years telling them, I'll never do this again. I swear to God, I am so sorry. I meant it in my I meant it. They know I did. I looked at them. I didn't want to hurt them. And I kept doing it. And I'm not going to, I don't do that anymore. And I, I try to encourage them to do the same, both of them, uh, to take care of themselves and make the choices. And you're going to live with the conscious, like normal mm-hmm. people outside of, you know, people and, and yeah. families in recovery. Yeah. But um, just wanted to add that piece. Yeah. So as we go around, if I start with the two of you, if there was a, a child, and again, that can be an adult child or an actual child, right? A child child. What do you want them to know today? I think a big thing is that it's really important if they're alone or if they have siblings to know that they are not alone. A lot of people struggle with this, but it's really important to know that with the person drinking, no matter how they're related to you, that being together with that person is very important and being honest with them is very important. But most importantly, being honest with yourself, you need to do what makes you feel the most comfortable in any situation you're in. So yeah. And in addition to that, um, it's okay to be angry. It's um, okay to be scared. Um, But it's also okay to understand that it's not just going to happen once. Everyone's going to have a relapse and you're going to get hurt and you shouldn't end up distrusting your loved one just because of the addiction. Um, And you you should learn how to communicate with them about it with anyone. And if you need someone to talk to, there are many, many family therapists and other kids like me and Christian who can talk to younger kids, um, adult children, um, just everybody. We're here for you. That's awesome. Gwen, what would you want to know? So as a child, though, right? Because you could go into the family therapist mode too, right? And and (laughs) offer some wonderful marital and family. But as a child, what would you want you know, it's that old cliche of like, if you only could tell your adult self, that child, something different, right? But mm-hmm. what would you want that child to hear? Um, you know, I've been thinking about this since you started, Christian. I'm like, Whoa, I have <laughs> so many things and like st- nothing comes to mind. I think like if I'm thinking about myself as a kid, like in that position, um, I think I just want to say like, this may feel like the end of the world right now, but it's not going to last forever. And there will be a point in time where like you have more tools, you have more people, you have different circumstances, right? Life is long and changing and um yeah just that it won't last forever in the same way that it feels in that moment sometimes yeah katie what would you want a mom or a dad struggling they're out there struggling you don't have to be in pain anymore you don't have to be alone you have a problem People can help you. People will help you identify that the 
the alcohol, the drugs, they're not solving the problem. That's just a symptom. You know, we got to dig a little deeper and get you some coping skills to help you. And you can, you, you can recover. If I did like a day at a time, like you can do this. You're okay. Your head's telling you you're not, but you're okay. And you've got to hold on and trust and take a risk and, and, and put the substance down long enough to find out what, what's really the underlying problem, right? And what's really the cause and what's really the pain because that's just the coping skill. That's just where we run to, to turn the world off, to turn it all off instantly, but uh, take, have the courage. And I know like I wasn't calling rehabs and I wasn't asking for help because of my, like, like I, oh, it's a great day to get sober today. Oh, sunshine and let me go to rehab. But like I wasn't that, like I was doing it for my kids. I, I didn't care about Katie. Like that, I wasn't in the, I was getting people off my back and uh, do it for your kids and hold on and hang on and talk about, talk about the secret, talk about, talk about the pain. And uh, I, I have always been in positions where when I've done that and I've shared about my pain, the other the person listening has typically experienced this same pain and uh, we're just not talking about it. So, um, yeah. sometimes a similar pain with a different solution. Yeah. Right. And I think the other piece that you just said, which I think is, I think is a really important message is that to this date, people will still say, I'm only here because of my kids or I'm only here. And I'm like, that's awesome. I think we still think if you're not in it for yourself, then you can't have it. And I'm like, that's our job, right? Recovery happens when recovery actually happens. So, if you are coming into treatment or accessing treatment and the only reason you're doing it is for your kids, I want to meet them. If you're only coming to treatment because your husband or your wife is like, I can't do this anymore, and you show up, that's a marriage worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. You don't need to come here. I don't not eat junk food because I don't want to eat it anymore, but because there's people in my life that I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself enough that I don't. Right. So I don't need you to be motivated to come in here for you yet. That's the healing. But if you love them enough, I can't tell you how many times I hear people saying that I'm not here for me. And I'm like, great. I'm just glad you're here. Right. I'm just glad you're here. So that is a great message. Somebody loves you. And if you love somebody enough, that's the reason to fight. That's the reason to fight. If it's not you yet, that's okay. That's the healing. But somebody in your life is worth fighting for. That's good enough. They were. Correct. They were. And that's the love, right? It's not the sobriety. It's the fight. That's the love, right? So I want to say, again, I can't tell you how much I genuinely appreciate this. Um, the courage that it takes for you to come here and share your stories the meaning behind what it offers for so many people, because I think what you gave is a voice that says you can be angry, you can be enmeshed, you can fight, you can try and figure this out, you can hide bottles, write notes, and somehow still heal, right? That, that's the message. So if somebody is listening and sitting and saying, I don't think this is for me, it is. I would also just like to add that I feel like some parents would think, how will my kids ever forgive me? And it might take time, but they will. They're your kids and they love you. Correct. And they need the space. So I think you said that really well too, Maggie, because you were like, I needed education. Right? We don't know anything different if we don't know anything different, right? It's an emotional experience. You're going to feel the pain and the anger. But when you get the support, and that was a constant theme, right? So, and we know that we say it all the time, right? The disease sits on isolation. I feel like we say all these like little mantras, but the reality is you just described, you described it. You're not alone. 
There's other people that are experiencing something similar. Get some education because that is where the forgiveness is. The forgiveness is, and again, it's, it's two people. Because oftentimes what we don't talk about is that we have to forgive ourselves. Because we wish that we did things different. I wish that I had said it. I should have said it sooner. I wish that I wasn't so angry. I wish that I didn't blame. So as children, you also carry this idea of like, so forgiveness, when you have education, you go, oh, that makes sense. I can't remember who said this to me. Honestly, you might have said this to me, Trish, but someone once said like, (laughs) kids are literally always searching for ways to forgive their parents and they always will. Like there will always be some way that a kid is trying their hardest to understand and forgive their parents. And sometimes it takes time. A lot of times it takes education, takes different spaces to be able to heal and talk and process. But it's always happening in some way. That's the dignity that you guys just gave to it, right? Is that you're afraid. You sit in the addiction. You hope that nobody sees it. But you're afraid to reach out. And for so many families, they're afraid to reach out because of you guys. Because I can't put my children through more. And what you guys continue to say is, we're here. We're going to be here through either side. So find recovery because I'm not going anywhere. I'll be enmeshed. I'll be angry. I'll do all these things because I'm never going to turn my back on a family. Enough with the enmeshment thing. I love that. That's a very family therapy word. So I love it. Yes, that's a very, I was surprised you used it. Yeah, we're healing. We're but that, those are words that need to be said, though, because I think yeah. there's that's a first of all, that is it's a, like you're speaking our language. Right. Yeah. Uh, nobody said triangulation. I was waiting for that oh one. Right. God. A try Like those are family therapy words. Yeah. So those are things that we learn. But the dignity to it is that there's nobody that could contest that this isn't love. Mm-hmm. So when we label people. It prevents us from being able to be a part of your healing. And so I I am using that word intentionally because the beauty is that it's easy to just be like, this is so, they're so this, they're so. This is family love. This is why people continue to fight. It's ignorant for us as professionals to be labeling a family as either healthy or unhealthy, good or bad. You shouldn't be doing that, right? Like, who the hell am I to tell you what you need to do with your own mom? You're like, great, that's terrific, right? What do you want me to do? It's my mom. I'm going to do whatever the hell I need to do, right? And if you're angry, yeah, I'm allowed to be angry, right? I can do whatever the hell I want. It's my mom. (laughs) And so creating like that, I just think the beauty of what you all said, you know, Gwen, you talking about that, right, of like your impact with your dad, I just think to give language to the the realness of it creates an opportunity that if somebody is listening, whether it's a child that maybe they pick up a call, listen, a child can hop on our webinars, mm-hmm. right? I say that all the time. Yeah. Somebody who's like, I have a 13-year-old. I'm like, put them on there. I'm not saying anything that they can't hear. Put the commercial on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so the therapy for shout out, but even like the webinars, like education, like that's another piece that I'm super proud of, right? That we are offering free education from experts in the field. You got an eight-year-old that wants to sit through it? Do it because it's just going to give you some understanding. There's no language that should be negative in the same way that we would do the dignity and respect for any other disease for a family member. So, you know, we do need to do better as a profession of like saying, we're treating this the same way we would if your mom was diagnosed with something and you didn't know. But otherwise you'd be angry and you would try and protect her and you would try and save her until somebody was like, you know, you can't get rid of cancer for her, right? And you're like, oh, okay. So then let me just be sad. Let me just be angry. Here, without people talking to you, you're like, I'm going to yell at her. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to do too much. I'm going to do too little. Like, because nobody told you. You can just grieve. That's it. You can find ways to love her and just grieve. And in the same way, like, there are different ways that you can heal those memories and heal those relationships. Mm -hmm. Like, being able to say, like, I have very, very vivid, horrible memories of like talking, being with my dad in active use. And like over the time of him being sober, I had to figure out for myself, like what memories do I need to heal by myself and what memories do I need to heal in relationship with my dad, Mm -hmm. right? Because what do I need him to know about my experience and what 
can I just sort of make meaning of and understand for myself? Which is why I also encourage family members to like have their own processing space because not everything they need yeah. to make clear and make make vivid for their family member, right? There are some things that they can just like fully unload and fully process just for themselves. And they also deserve that space, especially if their loved one is in treatment and they're going through process groups, they're yeah. going through their individual therapy there. And then the loved ones on the outside, like I'm just going to work every day, right? It's like, no, you need your own space too to understand yourself and your life and how you have started to organize yourself around this addiction too because that's its own whole thing yeah and that's the work you're doing and that is the that's the families impacted by addiction right is creating a safe space that's a great thing to say because i think families think i have to tell her everything but you don't right you don't because some of it is like your own healing and some of it is the family healing. That was really well said in regards to that. Cause I do think that that's another thing that becomes confusing. We got to put all of our dirty laundry and I'm like, who? No family does that. No. Right. Just because there's addiction. I don't share everything with my kids and nor do I want them to share everything with me. <laughs> some of that crap we got to do separate. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, I can't unhear. That's a phrase I say all the time. I can't unhear what I hear. Yeah. So make sure what you're about to say I'm all right with not unhearing. And I think with addiction, people are like, we're supposed to put everything on the table. Who does Space that? Space gives you time to have like intentionality with it. Like that's where like the space and the time of being able to say like, like I didn't really talk to my dad about his moments in active use until like a year and a half after he was sober because I was like, these are two memories that I have that I really need you to hear from me. Everything else is gone. Everything else I dealt with, everything else is like in the past, I will never bring it up again. Not because I pushed it down because I yeah. healed it, right? But like have giving yourself the time and space to understand like, what is it that still comes up in my dreams? What is it that still comes up in conversation? What is it that I still hold on to? And how am I bringing that into this relationship to heal that together, right? Give him the opportunity to hear me and sit with me in my pain, same way that I did with him for all these years, right? Giving each other the opportunity, that's rebuilding trust. That's rebuilding like, oh, you can handle now my emotions the way that maybe you couldn't before. I can trust you with all of this pain and all of these things. And that's healing because even as an adult, you're like, you're still my parent, right? Mm -hmm. You're still my, you're still my dad. So sometimes I need you to just sit with my, with my tears and my hurt because you can't fix it, but you can hear it. And that makes a huge difference. So I want to thank you again for joining my podcast, Always Healing, brought to you by Shoutout. If you or a loved one needs help now, contact shoutout.com for help. Shoutouts here for you.